welcome to the College Financial Aid and Career Navigation Podcast. Tom and Maria Geffers of Career and College Counselors, along with nationally recognized college financial aid expert Seth Green, teach two things, how to cut the cost of college tuition an average of $19,077 per child per year, and how to land your dream job after you graduate by choosing the right career and major. To get access to more information on how you can make the right choice, simply register at www.careercollegecounselors.com connect. To find out how to save an average of $19,077 per year per child on college tuition, go to www.howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. On the podcast, Tom, Maria, and Seth bring together leading experts in their fields who have experience in the college admission and career application process. They share their secrets so you can do it too. And now, here's your hosts, Tom, Maria, and Seth. Hi, my name's Maria Geffers, and I want to welcome you to another great podcast. And this is... And I am Tom Geffers from Career and College Counselors. And today our podcast, like every other podcast, is a uh, resource for parents and students around the country Mm -hmm. to uh, find out what's happening in either college or careers. And today we have the pleasure of talking to Steve Cadigan, who wrote a book very recently about called Work Quake. And it talks about the embracing the aftershocks of uh, COVID-19 and how it affects the uh, the workforce. Thanks a lot, uh, Steve, for being with us. And our overarching question is going to be, what is the future of careers and leadership? And I think you, you addressed it very well in uh, a comforting way uh, with your book, Work, Work Quake. Work quake. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's easy for you to say, Maureen. I know. I know. So forgive me. So thank you very much for coming. We appreciate it. The first thing we do is we always have thank our Thank you for guests. having me. And thank you. Yeah. No, it's, it is our pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, we usually ask our, our clients to introduce themselves, to say who they are, what they do, and then your aha moment where you felt that you needed to actually get this information on, you know, in a book form. So it's all you. Okay. Well, first, again, thank you for having me. And thank you also for what you're doing. I have a junior or a senior in high school right now, and I have two freshmen, uh, twins, Uh-oh. and we're navigating the big decisions in life. And uh, so let me just tell a little bit about myself and why I think I may have something interesting to share with your audience um, I am a former human resource executive. During my career, I realized, in my humble opinion, uh, to be in the job, the number one job for my profession, which was the first chief people officer for LinkedIn Corporation in the period of massive growth. There's no other job in my profession that I would have wanted to do. It was incredibly rewarding. I met presidents. I interviewed executives and, and a number of phenomenal people. And I also, over the course of my career in that job and prior, have hired thousands of people uh, in six different industries. Um, and so I want to go back a little bit to sort of say why, you know, I think what you're doing really, really matters. I grew up on the East Coast. I was a child of a minister and a social worker. Mm-hmm. And I went to college with not a clue of what I wanted to do. And I had very limited pressure from my parents and very little direction. I think I went in knowing more what I didn't want to do than what I did want to do. I did not want to do what my dad and uh, mom were doing. I love them. I love the service of the community. I still uh, 
value what they do. And I am very involved in the community, but I wanted to be not asking the United Way for money for most of my life. Like I saw them doing, I wanted to be the person United Way is asking for money, mm -hmm. but I didn't know where to go. And every man on my dad's side of the family were all ministers, ordained Episcopal ministers. So I went to school. I chose history as a major because I enjoyed it the most. And I was also very afraid of taking tests. So I avoided all the courses where you had to take tests. I was very good at writing. And four years later, I graduated with a history degree and still had no clue what I wanted to do. I did not do any internships in summer. In the summers, I taught tennis. I was a janitor. I painted and I was a security guard. Those are my four summers of college. Mm -hmm. Nobody was encouraging me to do internships like they would today mm -hmm. um, to sort of use that as a buffet table sample of what, you know, what I might like to do. So I graduate and I had one on-campus interview with a company in San Francisco and happened to be the area where the woman I was dating at the time was living. So followed her uh, in, uh, in her car, little Nissan, packed up my bicycle, which is the only thing I owned, and settled in San Francisco. No friends, no family, no network, nothing. Interviewed again with the company. They offered me a job. And about a year into it, they moved me from credit and collections to recruiting. And at age 23... I was fortunate enough to fall in love. Now, I have to be honest with your audience. Most of my college time was probably spent in the gym, not the library. I love competition. I played three sports in college. It was Division Three, but I played baseball, basketball freshman year, and I played tennis the, the rest of the year. And I love competing. And I love seeing how people compete and how they handle different pressure situations. And I love coaching. And so what I found in human resources at a very young age was – Everything I loved about sport was everything that human resources could deliver. Mm -hmm. I could organize teams. I could coach them. I could try to match employees with managers and find, you know, who's going to work in what environments and, and, and how to optimize for that and how to navigate them through problems. So I built that skill over time. Probably by the time I was 30 and had worked in three companies, I said, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Got a master's degree. And then I, I found a few role models and I said, wow, I love how they lead and how they think. I want to be like them and I want to be great at this. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in college, I didn't know what human resources was, never heard of it. I was afraid of business. My parents had been pretty good at saying those, you know, mean <laughs> business people, watch out for those people, right. you know, bad ethics and, you know, bad actors and, and all that stuff. And so I was timid at first. Um, but I got an opportunity of a lifetime in the mid 90s to, to go into high tech and to become you know, a human resource leader for some high growth companies that gave me phenomenal experience, traveled around the world. Uh, one company moved me to Asia for two years and I ran HR for all of Asia out of Singapore. And from there, I moved to another company in Canada and I was head of a, a small technology firm in Canada. Um, it was a Fortune 500 company listed in the US, but mostly based in, in Canada. So um, I lived there for four years and then I came back to the US. After coming back to the U.S., I found myself in a company that I, I wasn't enjoying for the first time in my life. I'd made a real bad choice. And um, LinkedIn came knocking and said, would you be our first head of HR? And I said, how, me? Like, how did you find me? Like, how do you, I've, I don't know your business. I don't know anything about the technology you're building. I'm scared to work in a small pre-IPO company. I don't know if you're going to make it or not. Right. And turned out to be the opportunity of a lifetime. Right. And, you know, fast forward a few years later, um, I'm sitting in the offices of, of J.P. Morgan, uh, Jamie Dimon's office, helping him think through career planning for his staff and building products at LinkedIn uh, that had never been built before 
to help elevate talent. So that was an amazing adventure. I did that for about four years. We had an, one of the most successful IPOs in the history of technology to, to this day based on stock performance and growth. Hmm. And 15 years from that company being founded, it was sold to Microsoft for about $26 billion. And I'm super proud that I built a culture there that helped that company realize its destiny. It was really an important part of my job was recruiting and building a culture that was gonna help the organization thrive during crazy times. So that's a little bit about my journey. And the, the thing I want to sort of call out is I think a lot of times we as parents uh, and we as students hear people say, or we tell our kids, you need to have a plan. You need to know what you're doing. I just did seven college visits with my son who's a senior. And every tour started with asking students, what do you want to do? And I'm thinking to myself, if whatever my kid says, he has no clue what he wants to do. And I wouldn't <laughs> believe him if he did. So he said, so it was interesting over the course of the seven tours, it started off with oh, science and math. Yeah, I'm definitely there. By the end of it, he's like, well, I'm thinking maybe science. I don't know. It was yeah, really because yeah. I kept challenging him, like, listen, you don't know. You, and this is the hard part, I think, for the world that we live in today. And this is what I'm trying to help address in Workquake. We've got something really interesting happening in the workforce. We have more people leaving companies faster than ever before. People staying in organizations for shorter periods around the world, not just in the U.S., especially in the U.S. Right, right. now, the median tenure for the professional workforce in a company is 4.2 years. Mm. And for people between the ages of 25 and 35, it's 2.8. That's the median, which means half of that number is less. So companies are having to learn, and this is part of what I cover in my book, how do I create value when people aren't staying as long? How do I think about that differently? Because talent now, I think, and people as they enter the workforce can see more of what's possible than at any time in history. I can work over here. I can do this. And we have, in the last 20 years, you're familiar with the term unicorn. We have businesses like Airbnb, like Slack, like um, Uber, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. They're less than 25 years old, and they're incredibly successful mm -hmm. and companies like GE are losing almost a trillion dollars of value in the last 20 years. And what used to be a safe place is now uncertain. Mm -hmm. right. Where should I go? What should I do? There's new companies coming out of, out, out of nowhere. What industry is right for me? And the truth is, you know, you don't know until you get out there and you start tasting and trying. And right. so um, you know, what I feel I had a chance to do at LinkedIn, and then I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you because uh, I can wander pretty uh, actively as you, as you can see. <laughs> But what, I, what I'm trying to do with my book is say, listen, there is a pro and a con to infinite choice. Infinite choice is great because you can see what's possible. Infinite choice is bad because you're worried you made the wrong choice. Or you're worried when you make a choice, well, maybe I should have gone over there because they got cool benefits, cool leadership, cool compensation, cool work environment, or cool policies, or what have you. I can see more of that today. And that's fundamentally, I think, something we haven't reconciled with today. When I deal with leaders around the world, and I was in Spain dealing with the top 25 leaders of Spanish companies right before the pandemic, and I said, what's your big, we can't hire people fast enough, Steve, we can't find the people we need. And when we do, they don't stay as long as we want them to. And I said, well, why is that? Why do you think that is? And they said, oh, those millennials, short attention span, career sugar high, shopping for promotion, disloyal, to which I said, your children that you raised, those millennials, yeah. they're, the, they're the problem. 
And I said, listen, step back for a second. 40 years ago, if you could see what the workforce can see today of what options you could have, places you can work, you couldn't see that before. We had a classified newspaper uh, that had a regional you know, perspective on what jobs were open. We couldn't see what jobs are open in other states and other countries like we can right. today. We see everything. Right. I said, you can't tell me if you saw that then, you'd still be in the same place 40 years later. You wouldn't. It's not a millennial problem. It's a platform transparency issue that people are acting on. So you know, th this is where you know it complicates career choices because there's a lot more, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you see that with the with the conversations you have with parents, or you know, help me helping navigate this infinitely more com complicated right. future of work. Right. Right. right, right, it's true. Well, I wanted to get into one of the stories that you talk about in your book, and it's related to this, of course, and it's the story of uh, Coach K and Duke University. And you get, and you talk about how he, he, he's a famous coach, of course, and is always in fi uh, the final four in basketball and, and uh, sometimes the uh, national uh, champs. And uh, he talks about how he recruits his, his uh, players with the expectation of only being there for one or two years and then moving on. And that's, right. well, that's what he does. And that's what he tells his students and, and how that relates to corporations. Now you speak about that as well and how they, you know, uh, hire people for that short amount of time and to help their brand, I think, as you put it, how, how, how does that work in, in, in the workforce, people going out, coming out of college now, what should they expect, you know, sure. in time frame? Well let me give some context on that. The, the reason I love that story is because I, I love basketball. I'm not, I'm not necessarily a Duke fan. I have enormous respect for Coach K and what he's done year after year, building world-class teams that get to the tournament and so forth. And what I, the point I was trying to make with that story is that here is an industry that moved from having team members, players, students stay four years mm -hmm. right. to stay six, nine months to a year maximum. And, and both parties know that. I'm going to hire you, Zion Williamson, one of the greatest players to come out of college in the last five years. He was at Duke, he graduated, uh, or he graduated. He left after his freshman year uh, two years ago. The One of the greatest um, players that we've seen in, in college in recent years. And he and Coach K both knew he was only going to probably stay one year. And that was the deal that they had. And it's hard for, for businesses, hard for Coach K. How do I build a world-class team in three months before March Madness starts. Like, how do I do that? Because I used to have three years to help them understand what the plays are and how we play defense and how you get along and how I like to run the fast break. I don't now. I got two or three months and they have to figure it out. And what, what he's done, and I think this is a lesson for, for both parties in terms of people entering you know, uh, the workforce and also people who are listening who maybe run a business or who are in an organization, I think the lesson is if both parties understand the tenure of the relationship is different, then we can have a more honest conversation. Coach K can say, listen, I know you're only going to stay here one year. I'm good with it. And I want you to stay here versus going to all the other schools who want you to go play there because I think our alumni are, are some of the greatest. And if you don't make the NBA, if you don't realize your dream because you're at Duke, our network's going to help you get a job as a coach, as a scout, as a broadcaster, as an analyst, or right. maybe you can come back and help me coach. And so we've got you. And I care about you. And this is really key. I care about you for your career and your life, not just when you're playing for me. Mm -hmm. And this is what a lot of organizations aren't understanding today. People are saying, I care about you when you work for me. And when you quit, I'm going to Tony Soprano on you. I'm, you're dead to me. And yeah. you can't do that today. Mm -hmm. Right. 
because people can get on their phone and tell the world, hey, that company's horrible. Don't go there. Right. Um, and so Coach K, has, what he's had to do is shift from constantly recruiting and saying, I've got to get people up and running. I've got to get this team productive fast. And so for business, I'm telling a lot of leaders, and I was on a, a, a session with about 30 CEOs yesterday. If you have jobs in your company that take people six months to learn, you're in trouble. Because people are, are saying they're only going to, and they're showing you, they're only going to stay maybe two, three years. Right. So you're, maybe you need to design your work differently. And I think this is how we're going to see the, the world of work change. But in terms of you know, individuals, what I think Coach K wants when he's looking for someone, he's never said this. He's never been quoted saying this, but I'm putting words in his mouth. I think he wants someone that can adapt really quickly, who can learn fast. The right. faster you can learn on my team, the quicker you're going to get my offense, my defense, my strategy, my philosophy. And if you need a lot of time to learn stuff, it's going to be hard for me to get you productive quickly. And if you're going to leave quickly, we're both going to be unsatisfied. So, and I think that's true in business today. Here, here's, a, here's a simple fact I'll tell you from recruiting thousands of people over three decades. The job description, the value and the accuracy of a job description that's posted that people use to recruit against and people apply to is accurate probably about two months today, maximum. Right. Mm -hmm. The job's going to change. You're going to take on new things and good for you. I mean, don't you want that kind of interesting change of pace? Of course you do. You're going to learn new stuff. So what I'm trying to tell companies, and this is very scary to them, that I think we're heading towards a future where companies are going to recruit more on what you can learn than what you know. And let me repeat that because it's going to sound fundamentally frustrating and unacceptable to a lot of parents. Like, wait a minute. That's right. If, a, if, if you believe that the value of accuracy of a job description is a finite short period of time, a few months, and all jobs are going to change, all companies are going to change, and we know they will because to compete, you've got to change and adapt and adjust. The more people I have in my company that can adapt and learn and adjust, the greater the probability as my company, we can adapt and adjust. So this is a skill. There is no major on agility. Hey, I'm going to study agility and, and take adaptability 101. It's not. But what schools can deliver is agility in how you learn. Instead of one teacher to uh, passive students, we're going to have students work together on projects. We're going to have students teach other students things that they know. We're going to vary, vary the learning experience to mirror what the world of work is, which is constantly changing and evolving. It, you know, I was, I was telling someone recently, and, and I think I might write a, an article on this. When you're hiring someone out of school, you're not hiring someone to be a student, are you? You're not hiring someone to be a college student in your company. Right. But that's all you have to go with a lot of times. Like, they were a student, but I'm not hiring you to be a student here. I'm hiring you to adapt and learn and focus on new things. Mm -hmm. And so for students and for applicants, if you can show that you have adapted and you've been learning new things and you're intellectually curious mm -hmm. and you have something that Carol Dweck coined a growth mindset, which is instead of, I can't do that too, huh? I think I can learn how to do that. I'm going to figure, I'm going to figure this out. I think the world is going to be less intimidating for you, right? Because we know you're going to need to learn new skills for the rest of your career. Mm -hmm. So don't look at college I would say, okay, and this is just my perspective, and we could debate this uh, online or offline. I don't think college is about getting you a job. I think college is about giving you career foundation, mm -hmm. how to communicate, how to lead, how to process information, how to think critically, how to challenge, how to have right. grace, how to work with other people. 
That's what I want people to learn. And when I think about my own experience, I mean, I got the top of the mountain in my profession. I was in the gym more, but you know what? I was learning in the gym. Mm -hmm. I was playing against professors and other folks and how do they handle competition? How do they handle victory? How do they handle defeat? And when I'm in the office, that's enormously helpful to me. Absolutely. And a lot of parents are like, if you're not in the classroom, you're not learning. Like, well, that's pretty narrow-minded, I think, mm -hmm. because right. the whole experience is really revealing lots of what the world of work, I think, can, can benefit people with. Mm -hmm. As a so, teacher, can I just add sure. one thing? I'm a teacher. So uh, as a gifted teacher, you have great pedagogy. Um, because that's exactly, uh, I was a teacher of the gifted in high school, and that's exactly how we structured the gifted program, is to do that whole working in teams, coming out of teams, and mm. working together, meeting those challenges. It was okay to fail, because that's how you learn. Your greatest learning pieces are actually when you fail. And so I can see that, I was in high school, I can see that that pedagogy moving into college. And I think some of the colleges are moving in, in that direction, but most of them are not. As you know, mm -hmm. bureaucracy keeps everything stayed. Nothing changes. So I can see what you're saying is that the college's education system also needs to keep ahead of our abreast of what's going on in the workforce. You know, it's just not there. They're, they're totally separate ivory tower, so right. to speak. Yeah, I think we, we all have responsibility, I think, to help build a better future. And I, I'm uh, reluctant to point fingers at universities because what, I mean, they have built a system that mm -hmm. rewards tenure. It doesn't reward innovation. Right. And you know, helping, you know, students really unlock greatness. It, it rewards, did you publish a paper and, and right. the longer you're there? And, and so I think they've, they, they've got to figure out a different system, I think, Excellent. possibly. But there's a lot of inertia blocking that because all the people Absolutely. who have that benefit are the people who are going to vote and they're going to vote, uh-uh, right. I'd like right. my security. And so it's just, it's just human nature. And, you know, and I think, you know, one thing I definitely want to land in this conversation for the audience is this, and I talk about this in my book, the greatest boss I ever worked for didn't spend a day in college. She didn't have that opportunity for a whole bunch of life reasons. She was a mother really young, couldn't afford it. And in her later years, she passed away a few years ago, but before she did, she was teaching classes in college. Mm -hmm. Now, what did she learn? She learned a PhD in understanding humans right. and people and what motivated them. And her name was Mimi Jagu. And she taught me a lesson, which I'll never forget. And many of them, but one of them in particular, which was hire people better than you. And at first I'm like, why would I do that? They're going to make me look bad. And she's like, no, they're going to help you do greater things. Mm -hmm. And you've got something they want too. You can teach them what we were doing at the time was acquiring companies. And we were written up in the uh, Wall Street Journal as doing this really, really well at Cisco. And I did. And I hired someone that she made me hire that I was like, mm, he's, he's, you know, better than me. I don't think I want to hire him intimidated. He's now one of my best friends, self-taught Mandarin, ex-airborne ranger. Uh, you know, um, he was in the 101st Infantry, unbelievable human being. And he's now a superstar over at Google uh, mm -hmm. and doing his own thing. And that was a lesson she learned because she wasn't taught how not to do something. You understand what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. so there are benefits. But listen, I also want to say to the audience – I've worked in some of the most respected organizations in the world over the course of my career, been very, very fortunate. And I've also worked for and with people that went to schools I couldn't pronounce and I never heard of, and they were amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I will tell you, almost every school, if you're, you can find your way, 
you know, and I think a lot of us like, no, I want them to go to a brand name and I want mm-hmm. to, you know, at the cocktail party, impress all my friends that my kid got into that. And we see people going to prison because they went to real <laughs> right, extremes right. to try to realize something right. unbeknownst to their kids, unfortunately. And there's some very high profile cases of that. But, but I think that's misplaced because grit and hunger and right. desire to learn is always going to win out. Right. Uh, and I've hired people from Ivy League schools who were not fun to work with because they expected to be promoted. They right. felt entitled. Not, I mean, I'm not making a, a generalization, but I can give you an example on both sides of this one, right? Absolutely. And that's why many Absolutely. of my recruiting friends will say, you know, we're looking for someone who's hungry, not someone who's right. expecting something. You know what I'm saying? And that can that could come from lots of different places, right? And so I want to depressurize this, this decision for a lot of folks. Like I'm feeling it. I've got a senior I, and I, I, I want the best for him. So my heart is like just so tender right now because I don't want him to have to fail or, or feel failure. And he's going to get rejected by some schools. We know because we've, we've got some stretch schools. We've got mm-hmm. some in his zone and we've got some backup schools just in case. And you know, but they have to learn that. That my son, yes. the greatest thing he learned was when he didn't make the travel baseball team. It broke his heart. All his friends made it. He didn't make it. And he's a better person now because he tasted that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it was a really, really good thing. And I think too much, we, we don't let our kids fail because okay. we don't want the hurt. Uh, but that hurt actually builds character, yeah. right? And right. and I don't know that we're doing a good job letting that happen so much sometimes. And I'm right. guilty of that as, as much as the next person. Right. right. And it's how the client, the oyster makes a pearl. It's the, this, the sand, the irritation that create, that grit actually creates the pearl, which right. is that's of really, value. Right. And, you know, I think that's, as you said, right. looking for people who have the grit. And that's what we always tell our students, prove to the colleges what you did during this lockdown, what mm. did you do? So right. you can show that, yes, I continue to learn and I continue to step out right. and be productive and show the grit. You're right. So important. So and, very important. And to your point, yeah. uh, we interviewed a uh, recruiter for a major bank a couple of weeks back, and he pretty much said the same thing that you just uh, said. I mean, they didn't look at the colleges. They looked yeah. at hundreds, thousands of applications, and they looked at the major. What did this person major in? I don't care if you went to Harvard, if you went to a state school, what was your uh-huh. major and what did you do with it? Right. And, you know, that's, that's what was their cutoff for the most point in, in, in mm-hmm. hiring people for the bank. But um, I wanted to ask you about uh, a phrase you use, the amazing culture in your book. Um, mm-hmm. uh, can, you, can you speak on that for a bit? Amazing culture? Yes. You, uh, your talent development? Your talent development and... and um, I guess right. I also wanted to ask you about um, if someone was a, a college senior right now yep. and they're looking to go into the big corporate world, bank insurance companies, investment companies, and they, uh, they want to be aggressive and they know mm-hmm. they're going to change jobs, like you said, maybe two or three years. Can they go into the job and the interview and, and go with that attitude of saying you know, to the company, you know, this is what I want to do in the future. And maybe I can do it here. Maybe I can't. Is that, is that a strategy? Yeah. I, it's interesting, Tom. And it's a great, uh, it's worthy of us diving into this a little bit. I think the psychology of the workforce is definitely shifting right now. I think the talent is looking to, I think talent is more loyal today to growing than to a company. And if you can deliver that, I think they're going to stay with you more. And and what my advice my advice is to people who are on that precipice of, you know, leaving school, 
Uh, I mean, if it was like a year ago, I'd say stay in school. It's a nuclear winner of job opportunities right now. Like you do not want to be going out there. Everyone's like putting the brakes on recruiting. But well, the, the floodgates are open now. As you see, we've got 10 million open jobs right. and eight and a half million people unemployed in the United States. What, what, I, what I think that I would want, and this is what I tell all my close friends and, and anyone who will listen to me is, listen, I wish someone had told me this when I was ready to join the workforce. I got really, really lucky that there are really two things that I would want in my first uh, organization, two or three things. The first one is there's people that I can learn from and there's people that are moving out of the organization. And why is that like what you said, they're moving out of the organization? Yeah, I worked for an insurance company for four years and no one ever left that company. And what happened was my network didn't grow. Mm -hmm. I went to Silicon Valley after that. And within a year, a third of the people I knew were in other companies sharing with me, hey, this is how we do this here. And, you know, would you like to come over and have coffee and, you know, and, and, and offering me opportunities? Hey, we've got this referral program. I'm going to get five grand if I refer you for this job. And that's powerful. I want, want that. But where there's good people I can learn from, I can build my network with, and that they are moving on to other bigger and better things. Maybe within the bank, maybe within the insurance company or investment bank, or they're moving to other places because that is going to serve you well. And the other thing is I stumbled onto human resources as a discipline. Now, if you have not figured out your discipline yet and you're still wondering, like, where should I go? Here's the thing that no one told me about HR and I discovered it later. I can go to any country, any industry in the world and practice my craft. If I am a, you know, mineral scientist, I got minerals. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's all I can do. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if you're, if my craft, I can take it anywhere in mm -hmm. almost any age or any size organization around the world. And that's served me incredibly well. So you're immune to any sort of downturn or anything like that. The market thinks they're great, but we got under the hood and they're, a, 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 you know, just a horrible show. Right. Like I do not want to, and that's helpful. Right. And the biggest mistake I think I see college graduates make Tom is I like the customer. I like the customer experience from that company. I like the consumer brand. It must be a good place to work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Those two things, friends, in the 2000s, went to Twitter and they ran from the building screaming, oh my gosh, it was very chaotic and they were highly uncomfortable in that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. Don't assume because, oh, I like Nike. Wow, I'd love to work there. Well, you're going to get an employee discount, but how do you know that's the work culture that you really like? How do you know that people are going to move you around? How do you know that they're going to welcome new people? Because some companies, they won't even listen to you until you've been there three to four years. Right. You know, you don't know these things. Right. So be, be, be careful and thoughtful in, in, in making those choices. Right. Steve, you have covered a huge amount of uh, information. And unfortunately, I don't have any time to ask you questions. So <laughs> with that in mind, can we ask you to come back and talk to us again? Would that be a possibility? Please. I, I want to thank you uh, uh, as well. And if someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, you can find me super easy through my website, stevecadigan.com. You can find me on LinkedIn if you're on LinkedIn. Um, you can also email me at steve at cadiganventures.com. Um, and I'm pretty responsive. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've got a crazy schedule, as you know, because it took us a while to kind of nail down it this did. day. It did. Um, but I really have a lot of passion for this and, and empathy. Yeah. Yeah, but I have a lot of passion and empathy for people who are navigating this decision. And as I said earlier, thank you for the work you guys are doing. Oh. Uh, it is one of the biggest decisions anyone, the first big, huge decision someone makes in their lifetime. Right. Right. And the more informed you can be, I think the better the chances you're going to make a good, a good choice. 
Right. And if you can't speak to Steve, you know, on, uh, you know, in person, you can get his book, which is a phenomenal read. We did read it and uh, has a lot of good nuggets of, of wisdom in here. So in please do world. that in the new, new world. New world. Work quick. And we're still not out of the COVID-19. So you'll have to do a, a part two for it to see right. how we come out. I'm already working on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, all thank right. you again, Steve, for again. being here. And thank you all, our audience, uh, for coming. Next week, we will have a new um, expert and career and college and financial hey. aid. I'm Maria Geffers. And I am Tom Geffers. And we will see you next week. Thank you very much again, Steve. I appreciate it. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer.